Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I am your host, Greg Ballard, and with me is a very special guest, Amber Blake from Amber Blake Consulting. Amber, welcome today. Good morning, Greg. Thank you. It's great to see you. So first of all, I have to start off. So we've been working together for several months on on a project, and uh, we've had a chance to get to know. We were introduced by a mutual friend. And we've just had a, a great opportunity to do some real work together in a space that we both have passion about. So I'm really excited to have you here on the show and for this interview. Um, if you would spend just a couple moments and share with our listeners a little bit of your career background and kind of where, you know, what you've done and where you are today. Absolutely. So yeah, I've been in the leadership and transportation focused arena on the public sector side for about 20 years. Um, I started out with a metropolitan planning organization, which really focused on broader transportation issues, you know, highways, bikes, pets, transit, um, and really looking at the system and how we fit together and then planning for the future. So I have gone through from Seattle, Washington to Baltimore, Maryland, Montana, and then back to Colorado where I'm, I'm currently located. Um, And throughout my career, I've worked for small organizations, so agencies that are, you know, 300 individuals, all the way up through very large organizations. I was the director of transit and rail for the state of Colorado most recently, and that's a three, 4,000 person organization. Um, My transit and rail team at CDOT was only 17. I grew that team to 28 during the time that I was there. Um, And that was really exciting because the state of Colorado has a huge focus on growing transit and the role of transit in our transportation sector um, and in the role of visitors, tourism, transportation in terms of freight, but transit for moving people as a primary mode of transportation in a state where you have urban settings and a whole lot of rural area. So growing that team by about 33% was a really interesting um, experience in terms of building the team, creating a vision, creating a culture, and all the whole while managing a you know, half a billion dollar budget, doing construction projects as well as providing service and administering funds to all of the state transit agencies in the state of Colorado. Um, Another piece of my background that's kind of interesting was I was in the municipal arena. I ran a transit agency and then moved up to being the assistant city manager and eventually the interim city manager um, for a small town of Durango, Colorado. Um, It's about 16,000 people. And that was unique in the fact that you're looking at a full service organization. We ran an airport. (laughs) We worked with our chamber of commerce. We had all of the business interests in mind. And our customer base was every citizen and visitor that came to our town. 
So that's just a little bit of my background. So a little bit varied. And then now today I'm in the consulting business, focusing on leadership and organizational development. Yes. And and you are fantastic at that, I have to say. So before we break away from this transit industry, because this is still fairly new to me, I've kind of like about one year in Mm -hmm. transit and uh, you have 20 plus. And we've talked about like, what is the culture of the transit industry? Because there is a pretty unique culture about it. Can you speak to what you've learned and what you've seen and felt um, working in transit over the last two decades? Yeah, it's a really great question. So working in transit over the last two decades, I've definitely seen a big shift in the focus on transit. So 20 years ago, when I first started, transit was a mode of transportation, but the conversations were more frequently focused on cars. They were more frequently focused on, you know, depending on the group that you were talking to, there was a lot of conversation, you know, probably about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where it was like bike ped. Okay, we really have to talk about bike ped programs. And that was a role that I played. The uh, community hired me to come create their bicycle pedestrian programs and write their multimodal master plan. How do we integrate these modes? And, and I don't want to say transit was the stepchild, but transit was a mode that was necessary, but a lot of times it was maybe not for, like, if an individual was speaking, transit's important, but I'm not going to ride it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important and we need it, but not for me. And we've started, and, you know, and I'm talking in a, in a more rural area. Where folks really, I mean, if you live 25 miles from your house and there's no transit service, like you need a car. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it can't be the, we need all the modes of transportation. Um, And there was definitely some stigma there. And it's, oh, well, these people ride transit. Well, no, everybody rides transit. And I had lived in Europe as a kid and Europeans have a very different perspective of public transit. So... I came at it, my own personal self of like, well, look at this great asset. And if we can provide it at short head times and clean buses and clean trains and very reliable, safe service, it's not the answer for everyone, but we can make it a viable option for more people. And as you can tell, I'm super excited and passionate about transit. Um, And then also with the aging population. So folks get to a point where they can't drive anymore. And so I think the culture is changing. The conversation is definitely changing. Here in Colorado, our governor's like, all right, I want a 400% increase on Bustang, which is the bus service that the state runs in our city across the state. And we're going to do our headways between Grand Junction and Denver. (laughs) And we're going to take an inner city bus route that could typically would run once or twice a day to our headways. All right, now you're really Mm. moving people. And there may be an option for folks to go from two cars to one car or three cars to two cars. And when you get on those buses now, like the buses that we ran on CDOT are over the road coaches. It reminded me of being on a bus in Europe. Okay. Great seats, Wi-Fi. I mean, so the, it's changing. Now, within the industry itself, transit's really, really complex. So it's not just you get in a bus, you drive around in a circle. There's constant communication. You hit traffic. The drivers who are, you know, you don't have transit without drivers, without operators. 
how can we build cultures that really recognize and respect the drivers and the dispatchers, as well as the planners, always focused on customer experience? So that's a lead in. Uh, that's a lead into another question I have for you. Because so we're shaping out transit and how it's shifted, right, over the last mm -hmm. couple of decades. And now there really is a focus on how do we move more people to more places, you know, at a lower cost. Yeah. And, and really creating more accessibility and creating an experience that those that typically wouldn't consider using transit to move to transit. Right. So how you get those in. So fundamentally, though, there's a there's a key driver in here, which is the leadership. And so you and I've had a lot of conversation on this. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective. What are you seeing when it comes to the culture of leadership inside a transit? And obviously, it's going to be a broad stroke because some some specific systems may have uh, one type of leadership compared to the rest. But overall, I think there is a vibe of transit of leadership inside the transit industry. Can you kind of share with our listeners a little bit about what you've seen so far? Absolutely. I think first and foremost, passion. <laughs> Folks in transit are so passionate about what they do. So, so passion is one piece, but passion can only take you so far. Um, I think overall, we're, of course, it's going to be very diverse, like you mentioned, but we do have like many industries, our executives are either young and many have been promoted through the ranks. And at times they haven't been provided the training necessarily because um, le leadership is a skill. And so really looking at the different aspects of leadership and training, creating succession plans. I've seen a number of organizations where they have or they're focused on implementing succession plans and building in leadership development. And then I've also worked with and have seen organizations where the resources really aren't there or the, dry, the desire isn't really there or the awareness, but that focus on leadership development, organizational development, focus on culture hasn't been first and foremost. And, Part of that is because resources, a lot of times there's not enough to go around. So their focus is service delivery, which is where it should be because that's what they do, focusing on service mm -hmm. delivery. Right. So the difference between the two that I've seen and experienced really is when there is that leadership development, when there is that trust, when there's a focus on culture and it's still same goal, safe, reliable service, customer is number one. Same goal as the other one. When you have that leadership plan in place and you implement it, those organizations thrive while the others are surviving. Mm -hmm. So I've also seen as we go through, it's hard. Public, public service is hard, just like any other industry is hard. We just have our own aspects of it. But if we don't have leaders that are being developed. For me, part of what got me into the, the world that we're in, the consulting world and training and organizational development world is what's going to happen? Because the impacts of not having an adaptive leader uh, to help lead, to lead their organization and develop new leaders, that void could be significantly detrimental, not only to the customers in transit, but in many other ways as well. 
Yeah. So, so let's talk about this because obviously you and I both agree leadership is a critical component to any organization and, and, you know, leadership has quality, you know, there's a quality level of leadership. You can have poor, uh, you can have ineffective, poor, mediocre, you know, strong and amazing. I mean, you, there's a sliding scale on the quality of leadership. And so I'd love to kind of pack into you, your experience on the importance of great leadership. And maybe if you have an example or two of what happens when you, when, when leadership isn't as good as it isn't where it should be, and then maybe compare that to a scenario where um, leadership the way it should look like. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not going to use any names to, <laughs> however, so I'll start out. So I had a really interesting experience when I had mentioned earlier that I went from being the assistant city manager and I was appointed by our city council as interim city manager. So the, the manager had resigned for the, the city. And basically for those of you that don't know um, about local government, there was a home rule municipalities and the form of government was the manager runs the organization and the policy is, or the city council is the policy setting board. So different form of government than let's say like New York city, where you have a strong mayor, this form of government is a strong manager. So the, the manager resigns and the council needs to appoint a new city manager. And I stepped in as interim. Um, it was during budget season, did the council budget, pres the presentation of the council on the budget. And within less than a week on the job, um, I was sitting in my office and I had a member of our finance team come in to me and ask me a question. And this question was the first domino. And it, I listened to the question and I said, all right. I called my husband. I said, I'm not coming home for a while. Please take care of the kids. I'll let you know what my ETA is. Once I started looking into the question, she asked about a conflict of interest. Hey, do you know if the previous city manager had signed a conflict of interest form for our finance director? I said, hmm, no called the old manager. He's like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, she never asked for any of that. I went through all the old files in case, you know, he'd forgotten. He had not. Long story short, we started digging into it and became very apparent that the finance director had been embezzling. So seven days on the job, discovered embezzlement that had been going on for 12 years. Oh, wow. Went through the CBI, Colorado Bureau of Investigation, investigation, worked with the council, but seven days on the job. And then, you know, went through getting, you know, putting her on administrative leave, saying you no longer are employed, the whole nine yards that goes along with that. Because the manager had left. You were filling in an interim I, role for the manager, but the finance I, yeah, director. I am still... now in charge. I hold, I am. Yeah. I'm in. But the finance director was still on your team. The finance director was still on my team. Wow. And from there, so that's in October. The pandemic hit in March. So we're taught, and I bring this in because it was change on top of change on top of change. Well, I like to know all the answers to the questions, and I'm a very hands on person with every mm -hmm. level of the organization. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think that that's important um, not telling people what to do, but having those relationships caring, supporting from the bottom up, not top down. Um, COVID hit, shut down the city, the whole, like that whole snowball. So that was my experience transitioning into a role. And you'd asked about leadership. So this finance director had 
total control. I mean, there was no empowering of the staff. It was, and staff didn't even know how to do the full role of their jobs because they weren't able to be trained because of course, if you're embezzling money, you need to have all of these gates in. And the staff was amazing. So what I want to, what I want to point out here is it was because of trust. I have relationships with all of those staff members. Mm -hmm. It was because of trust and the knowledge that if I say something, she's going to respond. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll deal with that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It was because could you imagine how scary it would be to walk into somebody's office and say, Hey, I think something's funny. Yeah. So and, you showed up. So what I'm hearing is like the distinction, right? Is you came in interim role. You found somebody brought something to you, right? You didn't find yeah. it. Somebody right. said, Hey, I'm going to go in. I'm going to talk to this new person who's an intern. And I'm going to ask a really kind of question like, Hey, did you ever, did, was this ever resolved? And yeah, you this, saw that thread, you felt that little thread and you were able to follow it through. And in the meantime, building trust with the, with the staff. Right. Exactly. So saw the situation. They couldn't go to her. Right. They, I mean, I think right. doing something right. wrong. Um, and we had also seen some attrition in that department. So previous to the manager leaving, there were some other folks that left the organization that were within there. And so for me, in looking back at it, I'm like, people wanted to say something. They just didn't know how. They didn't know who to, like, they didn't know who to go to. So what strikes me about this, and I, just to kind of case study this for a second. Yeah. Um, one, you know, management, when, when a manager or a leader is putting a lot of controls and, and really um, kind of putting a, a moat around power and authority, like that can, one, that could be a, a, an insecure manager, an insecure leader, right? That could be just somebody that's insecure, right. or it could be somebody that's unethical, like, you know, right. practicing unethical, illegal things, right? And you never know which one is which, but Either way, if somebody is very protective of power and of and controlling information, that's not building trust, right? And I think you and I would agree that trust is a, is a key component in any organization if you want to be successful and, 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 and really create a strong leadership culture. Trust is like kind of foundational. Absolutely. And so I find it really intriguing that that study, that, that case, um, you know, how, how it worked out there. What might be an alternative? Do, you know, I'm sure you've experienced yeah. some, some really strong leaders in your day. I, I have. I've been really, really fortunate to have some extraordinary leaders um, that I've worked with and for um, and mentors as well. So I would also like to just put a plug in for the value of mentorship, for both the mentee and the mentor um, as a, a leadership development and just personal development piece. So there's my plug for mentorship. Um, but working, so an example of a really, really great leader. Um, God, there's so many stories here, but I, I'm going to go kind of like broad brush, but I think, so I had a, a leader that I worked for um, and it was actually early on in my career. 
And um, he ended up, he was very, very open and, and he was a, he, he taught me, right? So he was invested in the organization and he was invested in his team members. And what he would do is he had this, this open door policy. And a lot of times folks would say, oh yeah, I have an open door policy. I mean, his door, we had a pocket door between our offices. <laughs> and he would say, "It does ask me any question you have because I want to make sure that you have everything that you need. And he honestly meant it. So we would have these conversations where I would ask a seemingly technical question and he would take it as an opportunity to go beyond the technical aspect to the why and relate it back to the policy. And then we would not necessarily role play out, but we would discuss the scenarios and the pro cons of moving forward. And what that did is really help me train my brain to think mm -hmm. both strategically and tactically at the same time. And, you know, some people have this skill more innately than others, but I have taken the time to think back of like, where did I hone this? I've always been able to do this in a way, but where did I really hone this skill? And it was, it was him. It was working with him on just these basic questions as I, and I was very, very curious and he nurtured that curiosity. And then in addition to that, where that played out in a positive fashion was he actually, it was really unfortunate, but he got sick. Um, like really sick. He ended up with lymphoma. Um, and he ended up in the hospital and having to take this big leave of absence. And because of those conversations and the way that he had led his team, when he got sick, we were able to take on the work and jump in and lead that section of the organization so that there was no impact or minimal impact, reduce the negative impacts to the community, but work together. And that team really coalesced so that we came together and led that department, met all of our objectives, maintained all of the requirements that we had from the feds who were funding us. Um, and so I think that great leader with the clear expectations, the very giving of their time and themselves, and that just that passion for teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm looking at these two stories and I'm kind of comparing a little bit, you know, in one hand, you have somebody that controlling information, controlling condensing power, really. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to put this into the space. Maybe you didn't say this, but, um, you know, maybe not being transparent or authentic compared to <laughs> this last story of this individual who, you know, ask me anything. I want you to be able to have everything you need, a complete open door relationally and trust wise and, and the difference in outcome when those leaders had to move into different, like when getting sick, when moving on, um, how the team was able to respond. Yeah. I just think there's just a, you know, it's kind of light and dark comparison there on the level of trust and authenticity uh, between those two. So that's fantastic, Amber. And I, and I, I want to ask you a couple of other questions um, before we round out our interview today. So I'm curious, what practices have you learned or you have you've kind of incorporated into yourself so that you can stay adaptive and on point with leadership? I mean, being a former director in CDOT, I'm sure you had issues coming up on a daily, if not weekly basis that had required decision-making, pivoting, inspiring people, all the things that come with a, a senior leader at that level. 
what have you learned and how have you honed those skills? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, well, for me, I kind of have four, four sort of foundational pillars. Um, one, trust is number one, right? And, and trust is complex and it incorporates like competence and confidence, but, but really the ability to have integrity, to demonstrate integrity and to relay that with your team so that they have integrity in return. Like that is, that is an expectation. So you have that, have that trust um, and commitment, curiosity, approaching things with curiosity, just because something happened one way yesterday, doesn't mean it's going to happen the same way today. Mm-hmm. It's really being curious and curious about who my team is and what excites them and what, what are they passionate about? Because having that information helps me to one, communicate with them, to connect with them and to inspire them. So I want to jump on that one because most people are curious about how to solve a problem. And you just talked about being curious about the people on your team. And that's a, there's a distinct difference there, right? And in getting to know the people on your team and how they're, how they're designed, what they're motivated by, what their life is like is so integral into managing them well and setting them up to succeed. I love that. Absolutely. And that, then it's fun. People are so cool. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's a big one. Creating a vision and not creating a vision in a vacuum, but creating a vision with the team. When I came on, um, in my, in the role at CDOT, my team was like, okay, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's our vision? And I kept saying like, I don't know, let's figure it out. What's our vision? And so we did an exercise and we came up with, here's what a vision looks like. Here's what our vision is. And this is what it looks like when it's implemented, because we can have these visions. Oh, my vision is for, you know, us to have bus service to every corner of the state. But what does that look like? What does it feel like? How does it impact the customer? What is, what do you feel like as the team that helped implement this integrated system? And so when we do, when I do visioning with my team and what I think is important as a leader is that vision has to connect. And so building it together and it's so much more robust. Have, so having a vision, having, building a vision, building and having trust, being curious. Um, to me, commitment goes throughout. So being committed. Mm-hmm. Um, committed to yourself, committed to each other, committed to being authentic. And, and having agreements, doing it with integrity and love. I'm and a then, big sticker on the word agreements. I am huge on agreements. Um, if we could eliminate expectations in the work world and just replace that with agreements, I think we would have a much better work environment. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So the four pillars, trust, curiosity, creating a vision, being committed. Absolutely. And then there's the frosting that goes on that cake. Yeah. Fun. Fun, fun. Yeah, that doesn't because... surprise me, Amber. That does not surprise me about <laughs> you at all. <laughs> right? We work so, 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 so hard. But it's got to be fun so we don't yes. burn out. Yes. I love it. So, right, so those are mine. Let me, those are yours. So a quick question from a, on an individual level, right? So we see this from a, a, a I think this is kind of organizational team-wide you know, creating trust, curiosity, vision, being committed. What might be, if somebody's listening to this today and they're thinking, well, 
what are some personal skills I should focus on in order to be adaptive and, and stay relevant on my team, in my organization, and maybe move forward in my career? Would you list a couple of skills that you think are really, really in demand today? Absolutely. Emotional intelligence, self-awareness. Um, and I think just this skill of being able to take a step back. And when, when I do, when I say take a step back, I literally take a step back mm-hmm. and go, okay, how do I feel? How am I looking at this situation? How am I showing up? And sometimes I feel like really electric inside and I'm like, whoa, I am vibrating with a crazy frequency. I don't want to talk to myself right now. And I'll take a couple of deep breaths and go, okay, yeah, let's, it's okay. Like have some grace. It's okay to feel like this. No matter you do, take a couple deep breaths and say, all right, how do I want to show up? Be very conscious with how I'm showing up both internally and externally. So I think, and that has to, that has to do with, in, with EQ. So your emotional Absolutely. intelligence, self-awareness, um, some other skills, just, so there's all kinds of time management principles out there for everyone. And it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So giving yourself the grace to create your own system. So a frame around that is instead of trying to manage time, manage energy, because yeah. your energy, Amber, your energy is different than mine and my strengths, right? What I love to do, what I'm passionate about and what I can do with little effort is very different than you. And that's not right or wrong. But if yes. I try to take your management system and impose it on me, right. it's no longer the best effective management system. So this is where time management systems, there's no best practice <laughs> until you're talking about somebody that has a similar design and what we call MO that you do. Exactly. So that's, that's huge. That's huge. And that's really big because especially if you're trying to mirror people, oh, that person in my organization is a great leader. I want to be a great leader like them. What do they do? Oh, this is what they're, they're, this is how they organize their tasks. Or this is how they organize their time. Just that awareness of like, sure, try it on for size. Maybe it works. Yeah. But it's okay if it doesn't. It, figure out what works for you. Figure it out. Um, so that one, that's a big one. And then exercise. For me, exercise. I mean, and maybe it's knitting. Maybe it's playing the piano. Maybe it's painting. But that creative outlet, your brain needs a break. Your soul needs to be fed. Mm. Whatever that is for you, that mm-hmm. recipe. So I know what my recipe is. Spending time with my kids and my husband and cooking and exercising, like going outside, being outdoors. If I don't have that, I feel it. And I'm like, oh, you're a little off kilter. All right. So Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. A couple of questions before you exit. Uh, one, what is your favorite leadership book? And if anybody wants to uh, learn more about you, uh, where can they find you? Absolutely. Okay. So my leader's favorite leadership book will change by the week because I'm constantly <laughs> reading. Um, but my favorite leadership book of the day is The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. Speed of Trust. That's a great one. And it's so quick. And the audiobook is mm-hmm. only like an hour and 15 minutes. It's a quick yeah. car ride. Yeah. Um, so we'll go with the speed of trust this week. And then I can be found on LinkedIn, Amber Kyle Blake. Um, please look up my profile. 
And we'll add that in the show notes. Amber, thank you so much. Pleasure thank you. Yay! Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard, and thank you for listening.